How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Sabrina? It's funny because I feel like so few things happen in my life nowadays that I was like trying to come up with like exciting new things to tell you about in my life. (laughs) And truly the only thing that's happened to me in quarantine is I had credit card fraud. You did? I did. It was really sad. What did they try to buy? I don't even know. There were like a bunch of like random like charges for $2 and then a bunch of stuff for like random Star Wars themed things. And I was like... That's not totally off brand, but it was like 150 plus charges of attempting to buy things. I guess you start with the smaller charges, right? To see yeah. if people notice. But also part of me is like, is it a young child who's just like charging a stick of bubble gum here and $2 DVD from the box over here? I'm now imagining a two or three year old who like is just a genius and and stealing people's credit card numbers to buy video games. (laughs) I don't know. Because I had my card with me. So it was someone who copied my card or who knows how it happened. There were a lot of charges done in person, meaning that it was like Apple Pay or a fake card. I don't even know how that happened. And then they were like looking at all the signatures and they were like just a random jumble of letters. That's so interesting. And it always blows my mind when people do it in person because that happened to my mom before too. And she had looked into it and the person was ordering stuff online to their house. Yeah. And we're like, well, then you can catch the guy. Like, it's... Yeah. Whoever is using it sent it to their home. It's so weird. It's so daring. It is. Do people not think they're going to get caught? I mean, what are the statistics there? I don't think they do get caught. Like, I think it just happens so often that credit card companies are like, we'll refund you, but we're not going to do anything else about it. What? Oh, my god. They give you a new card. We start a branch of the FBI for credit card fraud. (laughs) I bet there is for like big fraud. Yeah. You go to jail for two hours for the $2 you spent of Sabrina's money. You know what really fascinates me is weekend jail. (laughs) Like, like just getting picked up and. No, no, no. It's like, it's a, it's a kind of um, sentencing where you go to jail on your weekends, just Saturday, Sunday, but you're able to like. Live your normal life during the weeks, but then Saturdays and Sundays you have to spend in jail. How does that work? I don't know, but it's a thing. And your punishment is that you don't get your weekends? I guess. I'm sure you're on probation too. Like you can't do anything else on your weekdays, but but yeah, weekend jail. Fascinating. You know what fascinates me is yeah. bail. When like murderers, murder suspects can pay bail yeah, and just be out for like eight months until their- Until their trial. Yeah. Or, yeah, their trial. Which, actually, the reason I brought up Weekend Jail, because I'm reading a book right now, which is so good. It's called Know My Name by Chanel Miller. Yes. And it's, have you read it? No, no, no. But I've seen so many of her interviews, and I read all of her interviews about her book. She is amazing. It's so eye-opening. And just, like, hearing her experience in the court process of an assault case is so heartbreaking. But then just to see how resilient she is and how strong she is and like the changes she made to the court system about around cases like that is amazing. I know if anyone doesn't know who she is, look it up and read the testimony that she gave Ugh. in court. It's like the most powerful thing ever. 
Yeah, she's amazing. Also, I have not yet started, but you and I discussed doing this is having a book club book, The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. I haven't started either. Okay. Should we pick a date that we want to talk about it on? Should we give it a month from today? I pressure. Yeah, give it a month. I've got, (laughs) we've both got so many other book clubs going. I've got one for work, one with my other girlfriends. And then I've got like three books myself that I'm just trying to get through. Yeah. Okay. A month from today. A month. It's probably a quick read. I feel like Ruth Ware, I can read in like a day. Were you the one that told me about Waco? Because I watched it. Yes. Oh my God. My family and I, we binged it. It was so so good. good. And at first I was mad because I was like, 2018? How could this have been on Netflix since 2018? And I didn't know. But it was from 2018, from a different network, and was just put on to Netflix. So for everyone else who's getting a little upset with themselves out there, don't be. Don't don't blame yourself. No. At least now you can enjoy it. Yeah. It really, but it, uh, I want to talk about it, but it's like, I don't want to ruin it for anyone either. But essentially it's about David Koresh and his, his following, his religious following, in Waco, Texas, back in the 90s, when the whole compound was rushed by the ATF and the FBI got involved and local police and yada, yada, yada. You guys probably know if you know anything about cults. It's usually in like the top five that are discussed. Right. But the documentary made me feel sympathetic towards David Koresh and towards that group. And I had to redo some of the research because I'm sure, I'm sure there's Plenty of the bad stuff that the government did. The documentary or the the show that you just watched? The show that I just watched. But it's not a documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know that it's like really <laughs> scripted. But like yeah, yeah, it yeah. made me feel that way. And then I had to be like, wait, did are some of these things that are happening in the show based in reality? Or was this just written in? And so I had to go back and do like my research again because I was like, oh my God, these poor people. It really did make me consider, look at it in a different way. It did. Turning, shifting gears a little bit. I have another recommendation and it's very connected to our podcast because before we start talking every week, you hear this little like theme song by Arms Akimbo and Arms Akimbo's Peter Shrupp, who's one of our good friends from college, actually just started a podcast. Yes, I saw that. And wanted just to give him a quick shout out. It's, um... He's interviewing other musicians, right? Yeah, it's really cool. So if you're into music or if you just like Arms Akimbo, maybe you want to listen to Peter because he has a nice voice. I don't know. Uh, It's called Direct Support. And Peter sits with fellow musicians for interviews and exclusive interviews. He has guests that include Field Medic, The Mowgli's, The Spill Canvas, and many more each week. And it's on Apple, Spotify, Google, or Stitcher. Just thought it. Throw it out there if you guys want to support Arms Akimbo and Peter, because we do. Oh, I was so excited for their summer tour, and I'm bummed that they have to postpone it. But eventually we'll be able to go. Yeah, eventually we'll be able to go. Woo! I can't wait. Oh, another podcast, which I've been listening to on my runs, which probably isn't the best idea, but it also kind of makes me go faster, is the I Survived podcast. Oh, I just subscribed to it because I'm like, I've got to listen. There's only like 10 episodes. It's newer, but it's very similar to the show on, I forget what network, a Did I make that up? I don't know. Anyway, but I survived its stories of uh, uh, survivors of all kinds of crimes, assault, kidnapping, whitewater rafting incidents. It's like all, yeah. all across the board. Their stories are so moving. And I find myself like in the middle of the run crying, but then I'm like, oh, my speed's really fast. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, that's good. Wait, I don't know why I didn't tell you this. I'm sure you already know. But two days ago, it came up on my suggested when I clicked 
opened the Apple podcast, it said, hey, Kern, you should listen to this. And I was like, me? I think Sabrina. Did you know that there's a Harry Potter podcast where cast members from Harry Potter read each chapter? What? <laughs> okay, t- okay. Mm, let me grab it. <laughs> I was like, um, I know there are a lot of Harry Potter, but the, what? The cast members are reading it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I sent a screenshot to someone else because one of my coworkers is a Harry Potter fan too. It's called Harry Potter at Home Readings. Oh my gosh. Daniel Radcliffe reads chapter one. And then I'm going to screw up this name, but Noma Dumezwani, Dumezwani reads chapter two. What's it called? Harry Potter at Home Readings? Harry Potter at Home Readings. Why isn't it coming up? Some of the best loved names from global entertainment, music, and sports have lent their voices to the podcast. It's saying cannot connect right now. Come on. This is important. The world is against you. Where is it? Okay, you're going to have to screenshot it and send it to me because I can't find it. Okay, I will. Does Tom Felton read it? Because he's, you know. There's only two episodes right now, so you can easily catch up. Oh. Oh, wait. It was so funny. We were talking to Nick's parents, and Nick's dad was like, is it weird that we listen to your podcast? And I was like, no, like it's really supportive. He's like, is it weird that I know that your first crush was Draco Malfoy? That's awesome. I talk openly about it. I'm yeah, not ashamed. Necessary facts. <laughs> I don't even know how much I've told you. I don't remember what I've told you when, but the paranormal activity in my house is like almost hourly at this point. What? It is insane. We're like, what the, what did we do? Tell me more. Because, okay, the last last you told me and told our listeners is that your dad said, or your dad didn't mention not being able to sleep. And then he finally said goodnight, ghost. And then he was able to sleep through the night. That's the last I heard. I'm trying to think. Did I tell you about when it went into the shower with me? What? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> what? Yes. Yes. That's not okay. It's been getting brave. I was in the shower. I did not see anything. No. The whole bathroom was really steamy. There are no windows in this bathroom. It's entirely closed off and it's on the second floor. So there's no drafts coming through with open windows and doors. And also in Vermont, it snowed for two days. So it's not like we had doors and windows open here. But I was in the shower and this really, really cold breeze rushed in and lingered in the the front half of the shower in front of me. Oh, and I said out loud three times in a row, please leave you cannot be here. And it didn't move. Those three call to actions did not speak to the spirit. I said, you're making me really self-conscious. And then it left. (gasps) I can't believe. Oh my God. Yeah. And then later that day, I was sitting down in our living room. Also, again, no windows or doors were open, no drafts, nothing. I've been in that room for what, six weeks? Because that's the room that I work from home in. Mm Mm-hmm. And while I was sitting there, knee down, a rush of cold air came by. Oh. Yeah. There are all these little tiny things, though. So it's not like one big event where there's someone peering through a window at me or chasing me. It's like sprinkling in these paranormal events. But then the other day, I was outside in my backyard. And in the garage, I heard a bunch of knocking. But like slow knocking. It wasn't like a woodpecker or anything. It was deliberate and slow knocking. So I was like, oh, I bet my dad's working on something in the garage. So I walked up to the garage and I put my ear against the wall and it freaked me out a little bit because it was so close to the wall. I was like, what could he possibly be hammering or or working on? So I immediately went inside, went out to the garage to be like, what are you working on? He was not in there and he hadn't been in there. And then later on that very same night, 
I heard something crash in the kitchen. No one was there. And then another few hours later, my whole family, we are in, not my whole family, my brother's missing. He's in California. (laughs) Missing is very different than in California. (laughs) (laughs) He is in his home quarantining in Los Angeles. What if that's how you told people that your brother was missing? (laughs) He's missing in California. That's not, yeah, I said that wrong. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it goes well with what I'm going to talk about for this episode. But we were all out in the big room and behind my mom, it sounded like if you took a charger for your phone and just dropped it and it would kind of ping like three times and be kind of loud on a hardwood floor, that happened. And so then we had to stop our show, which was Waco, and investigate. And there was absolutely nothing. That's so weird. It's happening so constantly at this point. My family, we've just stopped telling each other when things happen. I wonder if it's all the same spirit or if there are a few. And like, I don't know, there's something about that sounds very childlike. Yeah. Like, especially, well, maybe it's because I'm thinking about the way when it would wake you guys up in the middle of the night. And then once you said goodnight to it, it kind of stopped, which kind of makes me think of a child. And then. Yeah. Because we still say goodnight ghost every night and it doesn't wake us up anymore. Right. Just during the day, it's really active now. The getting in the shower with you. Because I don't want it to be the creepy version. I'm like, okay, like if it's a child ghost, it would get in the shower with its mom. And that's like a normal thing to do. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. Especially because the air went so, it was so low to the ground too. And it passed by me that one time that I was like, is this the dog too? Or is it something crawling worse? I know, I know, I know. (laughs) But we do have that dog and I've never seen the dog, but maybe I felt the dog. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of, and I was like, oh, maybe we're disrupting the space enough to make paranormal activity occur more because my parents are painting their bedroom. So their furniture has been moved. And then I redid my room. And by redid, I mean, I mean, you guys know I broke my bed when I tried to move furniture (laughs) around. I just repositioned furniture and redid the decor from what was already existing in my home. I just shuffled things around. But part of redoing my room was I took an old antique radio, an old like gas lamp. I don't know what you call it. Lantern, oil lantern. Yeah, one of those. And I put those two items into my room. They were owned by my grandfather, my dad's dad, who died when he was 14. So they're very sentimental. And I was like, oh, I'll put them on display in my room so that my dad can come in and look at them and they're not just in storage. And I was like, oh, maybe that's disrupting it. But I don't think my grandfather is uh the presence behind this yeah i hope not no he's been uh he's been seen by younger cousins and he's a very loving and paternal figure yeah i was gonna ask my first thought was like because i know your family loves antiques like if there were any new items but nothing new we just shifted Hmm. things into different rooms who knows i don't know also you know what i was thinking the other day what was the first ghost who or what? Was it an animal? Was it like an amoeba? Yeah. What Was it a creature? Was it a person? Was it Adam and Eve? Single-celled organism at the yeah. bottom of the deepest part of the ocean. Yeah. I'm just so curious who the first ghost was. The holy ghost? I think there are ghosts in the ocean. I've never thought about that. I think we've talked about that. Did we? Yeah. Because I think we a long, long time ago, I'm having deja vu. Because why wouldn't there be, you know? There probably is. And also think about like all the shipwrecks. Right. Yeah. Like human people, ghosts can be underwater. I haven't watched Frozen 2 yet, but my half sister was telling me that 
You know the shipwreck in Little Mermaid? Yes. It is in Frozen 2. Okay, because I heard that there was that whole conspiracy because Disney ties a lot of their storylines together. And I heard that, rumor has it, that the parents who died in, yep, it's the the shipwreck. That's what I heard too. But so now I need to watch to, because Nick and I just rewatched Little Mermaid. So now I'm going to watch Frozen 2 and I will fact check. Yeah. I also realized that I never finished that sentence because you were just nodding. And so I knew that you knew what I was talking about. So (laughs) I thought you were trying to like not say it because in case people didn't watch. No, I just forgot that other people listened to this. And I was like, you get it. Yeah. (laughs) We're nodding along. Okay. This week's topic is cryptids. Cryptids, my favorite. I'm so excited. Creatures. I love these episodes. Me too. I feel like there's just so many cryptids too. And like each, I feel like each town and each country and city, like there's just so many that like have like little pockets that people are like, oh, have you heard of this one? Like this is the one native to my hometown. And oh my gosh, you can go down the deepest holes in the internet just searching all the different types of cryptids. And even writing this episode, I had to stop myself. I was like halfway done with the episode and I was on page eight and I was like, oh, I need to cut. I need to cut stuff down. I could literally do a two-hour special on this. I love this topic. I think you're first, right? Am I? I don't know. Well, you're going to be. I'm always wrong. I was wrong last week on our Encounters episode, so I don't know. Just go. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, this cryptid first came on my radar when our listener, Michael, posted on the Two Girls, One Ghost Facebook page. And Michael said, quote, I thought you guys would find this interesting. I was stationed in 29 Palms and heard the legends, though I never witnessed anything. And then he posted a link to the Yucca Man. And I'm super excited about this because as soon as I saw Michael's post, I'm like, hell yeah. Anytime there is someone in a position where they work for like the government or the U.S. in some sort of capacity, and this person brings up paranormal activity, I am all in because I just feel like those people are the ones that are often discouraged from talking about supernatural activity. So I'm like, yes, the truth. You speak it. (laughs) In this episode, I'm going to tell you about the Yucca Man, also known as the Desert Bigfoot, Mojave Bigfoot, the Sierra Highway Devil, and Marvin of the Mojave. What a eclectic group of names. I know. And you want to know why? It's because there's, I'll tell you about it throughout this entire podcast episode, but (laughs) also... The reason being is that there's a rather large geographical area where the Yucca Man is spotted and over centuries. So different groups of people in different pockets of area have given different names to this one creature. While the Yucca Man, similar to Bigfoot, is large, hairy, a bipedal creature, and carries a terrible, terrible stench with it, Bigfoot tends to be in a lot of the stories and experiences that we read about. Bigfoot tends to be a bit more aloof or observant from a far distance. Bigfoot tends to keep its distance, but the Yucca Man is huge. The Yucca Man is scary, fast, aggressive, and threatening. Wow. So it's like Bigfoot's evil twin brother. Yes. And you know what it made me think? I mean, not to be like Bigfoot's biggest fan, but... (laughs) You already are. We know it. (laughs) In the past... When we've read stories where Bigfoot is being aggressive, and I'm like, oh, that's so out of character. What if it was actually this variation, this like breed of Sasquatch? 
It's like the doppelganger version of your future husband. <laughs> it's the evil twin of Bigfoot. <laughs> I swear it wasn't Bigfoot. This is where we need we need our uh, listener Dan Bigfoot's PR person to step in. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> Okay, so at 29 Palms, which is where our listener Michael was stationed in the Marines. Well, I just said this. 29 Palms is a Marine base in Southern California. And the Yucca Man encounters usually go something like this on the base. A young Marine will be on duty and is assigned to post the far corner of the training base. 29 Palms is very large. And so when the Marine is on guard duty that far out, it's usually pretty quiet. Not much action. Not many people going by or... Too much wildlife activity. But during this one shift that this young Marine is on post, the Marine will hear an awful sound out in the darkness. And it sounds like growling. And the growling approaches and the sound seems to circle this young Marine. The Marine steps out into the dark to investigate and comes face to face with an eight foot tall hairy creature with glowing red eyes. The smell emanating from the creature is unbearable. And what happens next is up for debate, but some say that these Marines are often knocked unconscious by this creature, and then later found by the next Marine coming to relieve this Marine from his shift, and some say that the Marine's rifle will also be bent in half. Pretty aggressive attack to be hit so hard that you're knocked out for hours at a time, and that your rifle, your military assault weapon, is bent in half. Which just like, makes you think that the is it yucca or yucca? Oh, God. I don't know. I've been saying yucca. Let's look it up right now before people yell at us or yell at me. Well, I'm not, yeah, well, I don't know because it's like the yucca sweet potatoes. But I don't know if they're yucca or yucca. Oh, no. I think you're right. Let me see. Let me see again. You're right. I'm sorry, everybody. I have been saying yucca <laughs> because it seemed like a word I didn't need to look up how to pronounce it because to me, it seemed obvious that it was yucca, but it, I was wrong. It's yucca. The yucca man. That's fine. You're okay. I, I didn't know which one it was. I just thought yucca because of the, the sweet potatoes. I don't even know what yucca sweet potatoes are. <laughs> um, anyway, I wonder, though, if you can correct yourself going on now. It's fine. You're fine. I wonder because it makes it sound like it wants something. Like it, if it's going to that specific spot and attacking those on duty and at that spot, like what is it go like? What is it doing there? What I don't know. I think it just does not want humans near it. And when you encroach on its territory it retaliates but it clearly encroached upon the military base yes but the military base came after uh these accounts and this legend first surfaced in the 1970s when the mojave desert base had been expanded from its world war ii encampment so ever since they really created this new version of the marine base the sightings have been reported more and more and more and not only are Marines terrorized by this creature, but the ordinary citizens of this area as well. And the majority of sightings actually are from campers and hikers and just regular people in the Joshua Tree National Park area by 29 Palms. The park is 1,235 square miles, Joshua Tree National Park is, and 29 Palms backs right up into it. So when all these campers and these hikers are seeing stuff on the edge of the woods, is the marine base. And so it makes sense that if there's a creature that's within Joshua Tree National Forest, that those corner edges of the base are definitely going to see some action. I wonder if like people who go missing in Joshua Tree, if some of them could be 
like the Yucca Man's. It is thought that the Yucca Man is responsible for many disappearances. Prior to the establishment of the base, and prior to the reported sightings by hikers and campers at Joshua Tree, this creature had created a name for itself amongst the Native Americans. So Native tribes, as far back as the beginning of these tribes, living near Joshua Tree, had spoken of the, quote, hairy devil. And all of the neighboring tribes knew of this creature. And the Native people avoided the areas where these, quote, unquote, hairy devils lived. And some believed for that these creatures were angry, evil spirits. Sometimes they thought that it was a bad omen. But whatever the belief, they all knew to avoid the wilderness at night and to avoid where the hairy devils lived. There are stories of, quote, hairy monsters and, quote, camps of devils written into reports from the Spanish colonial era. History books written about life in the 1800s in California have also made reference to these creatures, sometimes citing them as having the ability to fly, which I'm like, what? That's a nightmare. Yeah, it's like flying cockroaches, like makes them so much worse. Yeah, so not okay. Gold miners, bandits, workers who find themselves in the desert in the forest region of California into Arizona and Nevada all have reports of the Yucca Man and say that he is a mass murderer. So Sabrina, just like what you were saying, so it's thought that as this area began to develop in the middle of the 20th century, these creatures, whatever the Yucca Man is, had lived in the San Bernardino Mountains and began to be pushed out of their native habitat as people established homes and businesses and neighborhoods and whatnot. And as they were pushed from the mountains, they came closer and closer to other developed civilizations and thus an increased number of sightings. So the Yucca Man has been reported as far west as Palmdale and the Edwards Air Force Base. So I was like, what does this mean? I don't know where these things are. So I looked on a map. And if you know where Santa Barbara, California is right on the coast and you know where Laguna Beach is right on the coast. I do. Yes. Take a line and just go directly a flat line to the east. That's essentially as soon as you move into the desert region the entire region where the concentration of sightings have been. So basically inland from Santa Barbara into the desert and inland from Laguna Beach into the desert. And that whole region in between is the Yucca Man area. Wow. Well, I was just wondering why this creature is... It's interesting how they have their areas. Like even like the New Jersey Devil, you know, like they're cryptids that just stay in their spots. Like I wonder if they all have like a deal with each other. You know, they've all like signed like, this is my land. Yeah, although there's a lot of crossover. Like if we think about the Bridgewater Triangle, then there are so many cryptids that are in that spot, including UFOs. And this area, I'm talking about Yakaman, but there are a few other UFO sightings and other odd, odd things happening. And especially too, like it's a desert. It's a mostly deserted region. If you look at like landmass to actual per capita and like population. And the other thing that I wonder too is like, so this creature, the Yucca Man, is we can assume a variation of like a Sasquatch, a Bigfoot. And so it makes sense that it would kind of be within these certain regions. So like we know up the West Coast, there's plenty of Bigfoot sightings. We know a lot of the East Coast along mountain ranges tend to have these sightings. So it seems to be like more of a foresty type of area, which would make sense with Joshua Tree, maybe not necessarily a ton of sense with open desert, but it 
it would make sense if this creature were like a moose, let's say, where the moose or like a mountain lion, where they have a certain radius of miles that they travel and like territory that is theirs. Like, I don't know how far mountain lion will go, but like, I'm pretty sure moose will travel like 40 miles a day. It makes sense if there's this like big region that maybe a smaller population of yucca men <laughs> patrol. Right. I don't know. That is my two cents as someone who knows absolutely nothing about animals or hunting or... I'm now just imagining, and this is like a cartoon television show that I'm creating in my mind as we speak, but like of a teenage yucca man who's like, mom, dad, I'm going to go travel and I, I want to experience the world. And he like leaves his home. He has like a little like sack over his shoulder and he's like Aww. fleeing and his parents are all sad. And then he decides never to come home again. And that's where the yucca man of South Carolina comes from. <laughs> I thought, in my mind, this totally took a different turn. I thought you were going to make him move to Hollywood and get cast in <laughs> Star Wars and he was going to be super famous as Chewbacca. <laughs> That's great, too. You know, this is where we workshop and brainstorm stories. <laughs> okay, so that's the region where the, the Yucca Man sightings have been most popular. It doesn't mean that there aren't sightings elsewhere. It just means that the name Yucca Man versus like Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever tends to be in this one area. So campers have reported that during the night, an atrocious smell will waft into their tent and then their tent is opened by some sort of creature. Hikers have come across large footprints. They've also reported being stalked by a Yeti-like creature. And quite a few people have captured photos, though, of course, like so many other cryptid images out there on the internet, the footage tends to be quite a, quite blurry. So hard to tell if it's real or not. However, the Edwards Air Force Base has actually caught images on their security cameras, which they believe to be the Yucca Man, or Yucca Men, rather. Multiples. Multiples. So the Edwards Air Force Base is in the desert, and it sits on the Rogers Dry Lake, which has miles and miles of smooth desert, and so it makes for a great runway. And they test planes there. They test landings for NASA's space shuttles, etc., etc. And a lot of the base is actually built underground. They have an extensive subterranean infrastructure, aka they've got a lot of stuff on this base that's top secret, and they do not want anyone taking images of it from the sky. Spies. So... The security footage obviously plays a large part in maintaining security of this top secret base. Not top secret, not so top secret. We know it's there, but we don't know what's going on all the time. Just like Area 51. Or just like most buildings out there. <laughs> How do you know what's going on inside? No one knows. No one knows. But they've got, you know, obviously good technology and good security cameras. So there are cameras everywhere, especially in the more sensitive areas that they're like, ooh, this is top secret. Let's make sure no one is getting in who's supposed to get in. So many reports have been leaked previously from the Edwards Air Force Base, stating that there have been numerous images captured on the security cameras of the Yucca Men, sometimes entire families of Yucca Men. One reported that there was a 12-foot-tall figure accompanying a much smaller figure, and so they think it was a parent Yucca Man and a child Yucca Man. And on the nights that these creatures are seen, the dogs on the base working the base and nearby in neighborhoods alert that the creatures are near and they bark very loudly. So, rest your pets. So, these corridors in the subterranean tunnel area where the Yucca Men have been seen are highly secure. They are highly guarded. 
So how do these massive, smelly creatures evade these top dogs of security? Well, that is exactly what the U.S. military would like to know. (laughs) Uh, The first time these creatures were seen on camera, they were traveling through the base's buildings and through the tunnels, and it obviously triggered a wild goose chase. They continued to basically chase down this creature or attempt to chase down this creature for the next 20 years because they never could seem to find it. And yet it would occasionally appear on security images or seen by the men on men and women on the base. So apparently the FBI and the CIA had been contacted regarding these creatures making or breaking into this Air Force base. And every time the creature appeared, the U.S. Air Force police units would be sent into the tunnels after these hairy men, only to lose sight of them as if they vanished into thin air. Yes, they vanished into thin air. You've heard it before when we talked about Bigfoots. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you again, the Yucca men seemingly appear and disappear at will. So this is not entirely unusual. I mean, obviously, it's unusual for the world that we live in, but many people believe and have speculated that Bigfoot, or this type of creature, the Sasquatch creature, is believed to be an interdimensional creature, able to jump in and out of this world as it pleases. Also, that it might have complete control over its physical appearance, choosing to move as an invisible entity when it best suits this creature's survival or desires or what have you. Um, And because of this, it was actually nicknamed Marvin of the Mojave because the creature had rarely been seen and was said to be a ghost who could not be seen nor heard, but would leave large footprints behind. And that's funny. That means like there's like a portal on the base. Yeah, there could be. If If we go off of the idea that it's an interdimensional species, yes. If we go off of the idea that somehow these creatures have absolute power over their invisibility beyond anything we've ever seen in a creature, including the creatures that live at the bottom of the ocean that are essentially made of glass. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but it's just unbelievable. (laughs) I know. How cool would it be if you could just like make yourself invisible at your own will? It reminds me of the movie Invisible Man. I haven't seen it yet. You should watch it. I want to. I will say at the beginning of the movie, I really thought it wasn't going to be what it was, I thought it was like all a metaphor, and then I thought it was this, and then I thought it was that, and then it's they were pretty. It they were pretty upfront about what the plot was. I don't know why <laughs> I was turning it into something it wasn't. <laughs> it's based on. It's a remake. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen the first one either. Yeah. Uh, okay, so one of the base policemen at the Edwards Air Force Base reported that one night, as he was patrolling the base, he noticed about two hundred or three hundred yards to his left two large blue eyes staring at him. So the blue eyes were not red, like had previously been reported in other areas of Yucca Man sightings, like the creatures at 29 Palms, for example. But the policeman was a seasoned hunter, and he noted how large these blue eyes were. They were so far in the distance, but they were much larger than a typical animal's eyes reflecting light. To his estimate, the eyes were maybe four inches apart and seven feet off of the ground. So this policeman is like, what? I'm supposed to be patrolling the ground, so I guess I'll stop and watch whatever this thing is. Get mesmerized by those beautiful blue eyes. The beautiful blue eyes. So much eye to get lost in. (laughs) I'm just thinking, every time you talk about anything Bigfoot related, I'm thinking about it the way that you would fall in love with this creature. (laughs) What if I meet Bigfoot and I'm, I'm so scared that I pass out? Never to see him ever again. Uh, but at least you had seen him. Yeah. 
And then he'll be so insulted. He's like, you talked big talk, but you're not walking the walk, girl. <laughs> goodbye forever. Oh. Okay. So He would fall in love with you. He would never be able to say goodbye or walk away from you. <laughs> well, thanks, Sabrina. <laughs> you're welcome. Can you repeat that to all my exes and see what they say? <laughs> You'll never be able to walk away. They, I guarantee they think about you every day. Yeah. Oh, isn't that funny how our ex has, is really weird and has this podcast where she talks about Bigfoot. Yeah, it, it is, but it's fun. Okay. It is fun. We love it. So he, the policeman, he stops his truck and he sits there and he's watching. And remember, he's patrolling the base. The base is large. It's in the desert. It's mostly flat. And so he's going to have good visibility for the most part. So he's sitting there. It's at night, though. So beyond the reflection of the eyes, he can't really make out much. It's 200 or 300 yards away. But then the eyes begin to move closer, and they're closing the gap between the creature and this policeman. And so now the gap between them is about 100 yards. But then it stops, and he can't see the eyes anymore. And an awful smell fills the air, an awful stench. And then the eyes appear again, only this time they're 50 yards away. And the distance between where the creature had been when it was 100 yards away and then 50 yards away and the amount of time that actually passed between not being able to see the eyes and then seeing the eyes again would mean that this creature was moving at an extremely fast speed. Oh. And then not only that, the policeman said that the movement of the eyes when it had first been walking closer to him was not like an ordinary animal or person where there's movement, you know, as you walk, your eyes kind of go up and down because you're moving and, and there's some like bounce to anybody or anything that moves. But this creature, the eyes seemingly floated in the straight line closer and closer to him as he sat in the truck. Oh, that's so ominous. Yes. And so right then, luckily he got a radio call and was like, oh, I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm going to report to this call and get the hell out of here. And so when he got back to the offices, the main base, the this man, he filed an official report of the incident. But he was teased so much that oh. for future incidents, whenever anyone else witnessed anything, many of them kept the encounters off the record. So they would all talk about it, but they wouldn't actually file a official report for fear of being teased for believing in it so much. That's sad. However, you can file official reports with us. We won't laugh. Yeah, we're going to create an intake form on our website and you can make your official report there. However, in 2009, the Edwards Air Force Base officially acknowledged the many incidents and strange phenomena surrounding the creature that they called Blue Eyes. Then, in also in 2009, the base newspaper wrote about the reunion of the, and I'm, I, Try to look up how to say this, and I'm probably going to get it wrong. The 65 10th Air Police Squadron officers who had worked at the base from 1973 to 1979. And the newspaper reported that during this reunion, so many of the, the officers who had worked on the base from this time in this six-year span were all swapping stories of their experiences with blue eyes. Like, so many of them had something to say. So many of them had encounters during this time. And in addition, they also were talking about how many sightings of unidentified objects in the skies over the dry lake beds that they had witnessed. There were objects flying in the sky, so UFOs. And they also saw a lot of strange lights near the ground, just moving around. 
So the entire desert itself has so many strange encounters with creatures and the paranormal, and no one is discrediting what happens out there. People are just confused. And in fact, there are often lectures and events put on to discuss the odd happenings of the desert and the Yucca Man. Uh, One event. Can we go to those? Yeah, we totally could. Like I was looking up the different events that were happening and, and one event that happened not too long ago was sponsored by the 29 Palms Historical Society and the Desert Institute of Joshua Tree National Park. And they were discussing Yucca Man, the strange unidentified crafts in the sky, and the missing forests. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, missing tourists. Strange murders and disappearances have dated back to 1876 in this area. In that time, a man came across what he described as a bear-like giant with a human face, and he thought that this creature might be responsible for the many dead that were appearing near a stagecoach's stop, which was at a waterhole. And these murders and these disappearances had been happening at this one particular waterhole for the past 20 years. And over those two decades, people continued to go missing here, only to later appear murdered. Their necks were often snapped. Their necks were bruised badly as if they were like choked and oftentimes choked to the point where their neck was snapped. And all of their gold and their belongings was untouched. So it wasn't as if they were being robbed. They were literally just being murdered. Some of the people were outlaws. One person was a sheep farmer. Another person was a very wealthy San Franciscan man who was just passing through the area. And the last unsolved murder at this waterhole was in 1922. It was the same MO, but 64 years after the first murder here. Oh, wow. So a huge gap. Yeah. More recently in Fontana from 1955 to 1972, the spectators at the Fontana Dragway reported seeing a creature something they called the wild man that would approach the dragway during races and it would screech. And the sound coming from this wild man, the yucca man, was described as horrific. So just imagine going with your family or with your friend to watch cars race around a track. And as you're standing up at this, up in the the bleachers or the stands or whatever, watching all of the cars, you see this big hairy beast emerge from the side and come up right close to where the cars are and just start screeching. How freaking terrifying is that? That's terrifying. Yes, and it happened for a long time, up until up until the dragway closed in 1972. Just kept wow. happening. That's so scary. So scary. And it seems as if the Yucca Man does not like the sound of loud and fast-moving cars, because drivers on Highway 14 have reported spotting a hairy, red-eyed figure who is now named, nicknamed the Sierra Highway Devil. And the creature always appears at night, running along the road, sometimes crossing in front of cars. Oh, wow. That'd be so scary to be driving and then a scary, giant, red-eyed creature crossing in the road. Oh, my God. Absolutely. It reminds me of the um, Mothman. Oh, yeah. How it would fly along cars. And, like, at- go as fast. Yeah, like 70 miles an hour, just absolutely terrifying. That's when I think I I would think the world was ending. I always like to think that I'd be like the cool person that would be like, welcome, supernatural creature. But in the moment, I'd be shitting myself because I would not know what danger comes with an encounter, right? I just rewatched Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And when Professor Lupin turns into a werewolf and Hermione tries to like 
approach him because she's like, we know him as a person. And she's like, Professor Lupin. And then he like growls all scary in her face. And she like jumps because he doesn't remember who he is. Yes. Yeah. Right. The goodness in their hearts can't shine through. (laughs) Also, like we're in their territory. They're probably scared of us, too. Right. It reminds me of that video of that woman who was talking about how she doesn't understand why people get upset when they when sharks attack because you're going into the shark's house. And then she starts talking about if a chicken walks into her house, that's her house, not the chicken's house. And so she's going to eat the chicken. (laughs) Yeah. So we're entering yucca territory. Uh, The number of sightings of yucca men skyrocketed during the late 1960s through the late 1970s as more housing developments emerged, pushing wildlife out as the developments pushed into the desert. Newspaper headlines like, Bigfoot surfaces again in Palmdale were not uncommon at this time. Isn't that crazy? Your newspaper just gets thrown on Sunday morning into your... and That's your headline? Yeah. And it's like, oh, Bigfoot's back. That's kind of fun. Yeah, fun, but also I'm sure really scary. So these reports told of a creature running through the night, circling houses, scratching at the doors, and leaving oversized footprints on the earth below the window. It kind of sounds like Santa Claus, to be honest. Except for not during Christmas. Yeah, scratching on the door instead of, like, shuffling on the roof. Right. Uh, In East Lancaster, one report told of a young boy who had been sent out to get his father for dinner, and the boy hadn't returned. And sometime later, a few hours, the report said... The boy was finally located on the farm near the corral, crying. And they were like, what is wrong? Oh, you're okay. We found you. What happened? And the boy said that there was a big, furry man who would not let him pass. Terrifying, this poor boy. And now I'm like, I want to know where this boy is now because he's probably in his 50s. So I hope he's out there and remembers what happened and can tell us. In 1973, three Marines reported seeing the Yucca Man in Lancaster as well. Alongside a girl who was working as a babysitter, who also reported seeing the Yucca Man that same year in the exact same town. In 1979, a couple was driving along Desert Hot Springs when their car was stopped when a large, hairy man walked in front of it. They were very close to their home. They lived in a condo. And so they were literally in, like, the neighborhood, very close to their condo. And this creature moved out from behind, ironically, a yucca bush, and stood in front of their car. And they described the creature as being as large as a refrigerator and having arms that hung below its knees. Its hair was long and light in color, like a sandy tan color. And the yucca man did not stay for long in front of their car. It quickly disappeared into the night. Imagine how good they are at basketball. So good. Football? Football? They can run so fast. Their arms are so long. Have you ever measured your wingspan? No. You but should. think about how good of a hug they'd give you if they were nice. Yeah, except it's so stinky. That's true. Give them a nice wash. <laughs> uh, the exact same year in Hemet, California, on two different occasions, a seemingly large creature left 17 footprints a foot and a half long and six feet apart. Imagine that. A foot that is a foot and a half long and a stride that is six feet apart. Okay, the stride is really terrifying a foot and a half long is yes that's off-putting but for some reason that doesn't i know it almost seems like tiny feet for how tall for how big they are but the six feet stride that's huge it's huge i think they have little feet (laughs) (laughs) maybe this one does maybe this one does because it seems like it can't be an eight foot creature with that long of a unless its hip joints are all crazy like and it just does the splits (laughs) a little off balanced yeah 
I don't know, maybe it was dancing. Maybe it was leaping. Mm. Or maybe it just walks on its toes. Wouldn't that... I don't know enough about human strides to make a comment. (laughs) Similar to the very first couple in Desert Hot Springs, who had been stopped by their car by the Yucca Man, two Marines experienced the exact same thing, but nine years later and in Big Bear Lake. So they had been driving home after a day of skiing when a creature ran out in front of their car. And one of the two men, Ken Fox, he described what he saw in a report that was written And so this is actually a direct quote from him. Ken said, From the left side of the road, something very large seemed to stand up on two legs and run across the road. The bottom half looked human, covered with hair. The top half wasn't very visible, but appeared monsterish. Scary, in other words. The headlights only got the bottom half, and the damn thing ran out about 150 feet in front of us. It made it across the road in three strides. I distinctly remember seeing the arms pumping back and forth, just like any of us would do if we were sprinting across the road in front of a car. It appeared to be eight feet tall. Ken and his friend that were with him, they nicknamed the creature the cement monster because at the time they didn't know what they were seeing. And the guys, they were driving right by the abandoned cement factory. So they were like, oh, it's a cement monster. But really, it was the Yucca Man. And a decade later, in the late 1990s, a rock climber had gone to Joshua Tree for a climbing trip. And he had been camping in the park overnight, staying a few nights to get the most of his climbing trip. And when he returned home, he brought his cameras into the wherever he brought them to get them developed. And when he finally got his photos back, he noticed something very unusual. He noticed that where his campsite was, which was near a crevice, in the photo over by this crevice and alongside rocks was a face. In this face appeared to belong to some sort of primate type creature, though it was unrecognizable from anything that we know currently. So possibly the Yucca Man. And what really scares me is that more recently, the Yucca Man has been spotted at Devil's Punch Bowl in 2012, which is a hike in San Diego that our very haunted friend Marissa sometimes finds herself at. I wish I could remember. I should have texted Marissa before we recorded this, but... She, I remember when I first became friends with her when we were in college, that she had told me about Devil's Punch Bowl. And I believe there's some weird, scary stories about Devil's Punch Bowl and about satanic rituals or just weird creatures. So I remember she was talking about how scary it is. It's the hike that, you know, in high school, you dare each other to go on and whatnot. And so you all go as a group. I'm sure it's like a hike that some people probably do daily just as part as a part of their routine. But we could do a segment on that. That's yeah, fun. I know. We'll have to ask her if she knows anything or has any specific stories. But as soon as I saw Devil's Punchbowl, I was like, oh, God, I feel like I already know that there's bad stuff happening here. And the fact that the Yucca Man was spotted in 2012 over there, that's crazy. It's like their own version of the Bridgewater Kidney Bean. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, so there's so much more to tell you about the Yucca Man. But like I said before, I need way more time than is feasible <laughs> for this podcast. So I will leave you with this. We believe in the paranormal, and we believe in cryptids. And it appears that there are different types of Sasquatch creatures. And as a fan of Bigfoot, I'm openly telling you that this creature, this breed of Bigfoot, is dangerous. So be careful of the Yucca Man. And for you to openly admit that you're afraid of the Yucca Man. Yeah. It tries to bring you in with its nice, sandy California tan. And its glistening blue eyes. It really does sound like a 
a Cali surfer boy version of Bigfoot, <laughs> does it not? It totally does. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Don't get sucked in by his good looks and his charming features. I just can't help but go along with this mystery hairy man. Corinne, don't do it. <laughs> I won't. Thank you. Let's be real. If I was actually in that situation, I would crumple to the floor in fear. Well, that wouldn't be good either. All right, Sabrina. Okay. Let's hear it. Yours. So I saw the name of yours mm-hmm. in our shared Excel sheet where we just keep what we're doing. And it I don't know what it is, but the name of it scares the shit out of me. The Bunny Man. <laughs> nightmare inducing already and you haven't even told me anything about it it's so spooky i love it okay the bunny man depending on who you ask is either a ghost a cryptid or an urban legend but whatever it is join us on this journey and immerse yourself in the story of the bunny man and let him haunt your dreams no (laughs) so the bunny man is known to exist in fairfax county virginia And while that's where he's most often seen, he's also known to travel as far as Washington, D.C., and he leaves a trail of mutilated bodies in its wake. Before I tell you more about him, Corinna, let me ask you, I'm just going to put you in a scenario and see what you would do. What would you do if you were to encounter a strange-looking creature resembling a man-sized bunny who all of a sudden starts throwing hatchets at you? I think I would try to grab the hatchets and throw them right back. Wow, that's like pretty impressive. And I'd be running away as I throw them behind me. Oh my God, you're so skilled. I know. I'm really talented. Wow. I need to go to get some target practice to be as good as you. Or you can just do what I do. It's called sit on your couch all day and fantasize about it and hope that you're making muscle memory through your fantasies. Right. Yeah. You know, sometimes I have dreams that I worked out and I wake up and I'm like, that counts, right? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. So I think I would probably run far, far away. And maybe you'd get so far away, you'd find friends, you'd be so terrified, you wouldn't have really been able to process what you just saw, but you're trying to process it and you tell your friends and they're all like, Corinne, you're crazy. No, you didn't see that. It's That doesn't sound real. It's so unbelievable. But the craziest part about this is it's so unbelievable because it is true. The bunny man is known to throw hatchets at people. And there are stories, proof, there is record of it. But there are some elements of it that it's like, is this man? Is it a ghost? Is it a cryptid? What is it? So I'll let you decide, but I'll tell you all the facts. Okay. So if you grew up in Northern Virginia, it's likely you've heard this story more than once. And there's multiple versions of it. And I'll, I'll tell you the lesser known version of the story. It goes that a teenager who one day dressed in a bunny costume attacked and killed his family with an axe, then went to an overpass, which is this bridge area that I don't know what it used to be called or what its proper name is. There are a few different names, but it's now called the Bunny Man Bridge or referred to as it. And this teenager then went to the overpass and died by suicide. And it's said that his spirit remains haunting the bridge, chasing down visitors with an axe, getting dangerously close to hitting people with it. But the more prominent story goes a little like this. There was an asylum for the insane deep in the woods between the towns of Clifton and Fairfax Station. Those are in Virginia. And in the early 20th century, the asylum was shut down and the patients were piled into a bus for relocation. The bus departed the now abandoned asylum and started its journey for Lorton Prison. The night was dark and foggy and the driver noticed the visibility was low. 
So he slowed the speed out of caution, but didn't see that an oncoming car was coming towards them until it was too late. The bus driver swerved, sending the bus crashing into the trees just off the road. Chaos ensued. The bus driver was dazed and confused, and the patients were breaking free from the bus, running in all directions, finding freedom for the first time in years. The police were quickly called in to collect the escaped patients, but there was one man, one patient, who was nowhere to be found. This man was Douglas Griffin. The police began to worry because Griffin was a very, very dangerous man. They had to find him, so they stayed up through the night to search for him. It was really late in the night, almost morning, when an officer stumbled upon a strange scene. The first thing he saw was blood, red and deep crimson blood. He swallowed as a chill ran through his body, and then he saw the source, a dead bunny. He walked closer to it, noticing its lifeless body and more blood, a trail of it. He followed the trail, and beyond it was another dead bunny, and another, and another. Oh, I hate this. Each one gutted, killed, dead. The trail led to what was then called the Fairfax Station Bridge, and the officer saw it wasn't just a trail, but there hanging from the bridge were many half-eaten, gutted bunny rabbits. He called in the other officers, and they all realized that Griffin was much more dangerous than they had initially thought, and they needed to find him. But for months, they searched to no avail. He was never found. But then, on Halloween night, several nights later, there were a few teens or hooligans, as my grandma used to call them, who were hanging out under the bridge when at the stroke of midnight, they were attacked. The teenagers never came home that night, and naturally, their parents were worried. They searched for them, and it wasn't until the sun came up that their bodies were found, strung up, hanging from the bridge, gutted, just like the bunnies were. And no one knew what happened to them or who had done the horrible act, but everyone believed it had to do with the escaped asylum patient, Douglas Griffin. He was now named the Bunny Man. And to this day, it is said that if you are at the Bunny Man Bridge at midnight on Halloween, you too will face the same fate as those teens and the bunnies. Not Halloween! I know, of all nights, our favorite night. Our favorite night. (laughs) Don't taint it, Bunny Man. So no one knew what happened to Douglas Griffin, where he went, or why he attacked those teens. And some people believe that he was struck by a train near the overpass and died a few years later. And then his ghost then haunted the Fairfax Station Bridge in what looked like a bunny outfit. But this is why the bunny man can't be specifically declared a ghost or a cryptid. Because it's like a weird thing. Like if someone dies and then becomes a ghost that kills, could it be confused as a cryptid? Because if it looks like a bunny or bunny man, which isn't normal, could it then be called a cryptid? So a local historian who grew up in Virginia with this story was determined to get to the truth and was like, I've heard this my whole life. What's the truth? Where does this come from? So it turns out, and this is why some people say it's just an urban legend, turns out there are no records of an asylum in the woods or a man named Douglas Griffin. But there was an unsolved murder of a 14-year-old girl named Eva Roy, who was found beaten to death and hanged near the Bunny Man Bridge in 1918. And her murderer was suspected to be a mental patient from Lorton Prison who had escaped. So perhaps that's where the legend came from. Or was there something darker looking in the Fairfax County woods? Because in 1970, the bunny man was undeniably present and began wreaking havoc on the town again. So it was October 18th, 1970, when Air Force Cadet Robert Bennett and his fiance were driving near the bridge, when all of a sudden a man appeared standing in front of their car. Bennett slammed on the brakes, terrified. They had almost hit this man. What was he doing standing in the middle of the road? But then Bennett looked at his fiance and it dawned upon them. This man wasn't quite 
a man. He was dressed in an all-white, fluffy suit with what appeared to be bunny ears. They got a bad feeling about it, which only intensified when they noticed a small hatchet in the man's hand. The creature or man began yelling at them, You're on my property. And then without a second thought, the man threw the hatchet at the car directly into the windshield, glass shattered, and sprayed into the car. Luckily, neither of the passengers were hurt, and they were able to collect themselves. But when they did, they noticed the man was just gone. He had disappeared. So they rushed to the police and reported the incident, which had been documented in records. So this is a real thing. This happened. It's in police records. Oh, my god! And gosh. the newspapers the next day declared that they were searching for the bunny man. And this historian who was trying to, like, find the source of this bunny man and who he was actually went and talked to Robert Bennett. And Robert Bennett was like, it's so real. Like, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember my, his like mother, he went, him and his fiance went back to his mother's house after all of this. And his mother was like combing glass shards out of his fiance's hair. This is like, I mean, worse, but this reminds me of when clowns were just terrorizing like Florida and all of these states throughout the U.S. not that many years ago. Not that long ago. Right. So yeah, I mean, like the thing about the bunny man is like, what was first, right? Is Was the legend of Bunny Man first and then this man dressed up as a bunny or was he the bunny man? Because the real thing is this man was never caught. And so the police were searching for the bunny man and initially they thought the man belonged to the Ku Klux Klan because he was wearing white. But Bennett and his fiance were sure, like he was wearing a bunny suit. He looked like a bunny man. So the police are searching for him and then two weeks later he reemerged. And this time, it was late at night, a security guard was patrolling a new housing construction site in Virginia, in Fairfax County, and the security guard was walking through the streets, and he saw a blur of white passing behind one of the houses. And so he went to investigate. What is that? He goes around back of one of the houses, and there on the patio of a brand new and empty home was the bunny man, again, wearing all white, bunny ears, and wielding an axe. The man began yelling at the security guard, saying kind of nonsensical things, saying trespassing, talk about encroaching upon his land. He then began hacking away at the wooden beams of the house. The security guard ran, obviously, to go get help, try to call the police. Bunny man got away. And the cops continued their hunt for him. A few days before Halloween, they received a phone call. The man on the phone said he was the bunny man. And he threatened the police and told him to leave his woods, his land, alone. Based on the voice, the police thought it was a local teen who had been upset about the expansion of the town. But why would a teenager be upset about the expansion of the town? Others believe that this is the missing asylum patient from all those years ago in the early 1900s. That it was his spirit, his ghost, his being who was possessive over his land that he had been living upon as a ghost or whatever he is for so many years. Or what if the this person, this original bunny man murderer, had set up camp or set up a life somewhere in a really rural area and continued life and like had children or found himself some children and raised a child to be the next bunny man? Interesting. Wow. I like that. I mean, it's a horrifying thought. I hope it's not true, (laughs) but it's interesting. Yeah. It could be a reason for a younger voiced bunny man. Right. Or I don't know. I always think about this. I think after watching Mommy Dead and Dearest of of how 
children who experience psychological trauma sometimes when they grow up will remain childish in their voice. Mm-hmm. That that could be something as well. Because you can misconstrue so many things on a phone call. I've also found it hard to tell the age of a lot of people's voices. Like I'll often think that someone's a lot younger or right. older than they actually are. It's hard right. to tell. Right. It's like listening to a podcast. It's like hard to envision the person. You right. just hear their exactly. voice for so long. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the man on the phone who claimed to be the bunny man told the police that he would meet them on his bridge on Halloween night. So the police went on Halloween night, but no one came and the bunny man was never caught. But for the next six months, teenagers and children and people all over reported sightings of the bunny man in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. More than 50 people contacted the police reporting their sightings. And one report involved a sighting of the bunny man. This is very sad. And I wish I hadn't read this, but I found it in my research. One report was that a bunny man was eating a cat in the woods. And so over time, the bunny man's legend grew. Missing persons cases and unsolved murders were being accredited to the mysterious man ghost creature, whatever he is. And he's sometimes, like I said, believed to be the murderer of 14-year-old Eva Roy. And people believe that he's still there, still in the woods. And so while it's possible that the urban legend maybe was dramatized by children and adults in the area, it doesn't explain why people continue to see a man-sized bunny-like figure in the woods around Bunny Man Bridge and get phone calls from him. So a lot of people choose to stay away from the bridge, but obviously, you know, when you're growing up and you hear this urban legend, there are kids and even adults who are like tempted to go check it out. And so people will go pay a visit to Bunny Man Bridge. Most of them will try to leave before midnight because that's when it's like dangerous, supposed to be dangerous. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're like drinking sodas, pop, whatever, and you might like crush a can and leave it there and litter. And if you do that, you should be careful because... If you leave anything behind, it is said you will receive a call from an unknown number. And if you answer, there will be a voice on the other end that states, you've been messing with my property, but you can make it right by coming to meet me tonight under the bridge. No, thank you. Yeah. So in many of the reports, it said, we don't know what happens if you go to meet him because it doesn't sound like anyone has come back from meeting him under the bridge or no one's really gone and taken the bait, which I hope. I hope not. But yeah, so people can't be sure if it's a real person or a spirit or a cryptid or a spirit that wore a bunny outfit and died and continued to wear a bunny outfit in its death and now is confused as a cryptid. Either way, it's probably best not to encroach upon the bunny man's land, the woods, or the bridge. The story of the bunny man has actually been referenced in pop culture. There was a film called Bunny Man made in 2011, very loosely inspired on this version of Bunny Man. And then Lore used the story to introduce season two, episode one of its show on Amazon. Oh my gosh. I wonder if they did an episode on lore of the bunny man because it it sounds really familiar. A bunny man coming out from under a bridge on Halloween. I don't know what to think because the fact that there are actual police reports is so scary because I'm like, okay, this kind of sounds like melon heads and stuff like that that very much could be lore and campfire stories. But the fact that there's been enough of a presence that people have received phone calls have felt like things were definitely not a prank, were taken to the extreme level of getting police involved in filing reports. What the hell is out there? Well, it's it's possible that like, because it's hard to tell what came first. So it's possible that the 1970 incident of the man dressed in a bunny suit throwing an axe at Robert and his fiance could have happened first. And then... From there, the legend of this bunny man at the bridge 
could have been stirred up and created. But then the difficult part is that there's like rumors of it from before that with that the death of that 14 year old girl that's still unsolved. It's hard to be sure if maybe the man who threw the axe of the car dressed up in a bunny suit knowing that story. But I don't know. It's so it's just so weird and unsettling. And like regardless of if it's encrypted or not, it's clearly very, very territorial, which is something that I think is very common between cryptids. My mind also goes to people that might not be as in control of their mental health as we would hope and could possibly or are just desiring to be this bunny man and become obsessed with the story and take on the persona themselves. It's hard to know. Let's add it to our list of questions we'll ask when we die. Oh my gosh, so many questions. (laughs) And lastly, what about the bunny man? (laughs) (laughs) Save the best for last. Save the best for last. My God, that's wild. Oh my gosh. And it makes sense. I'm upset that it's happening on Halloween. I mean, I know Halloween is for spookiness, and so that's why we love it so much. But I I equate so much joy with Halloween because of how it makes me feel and my experiences on Halloween and the movies that I like on Halloween. So to think that there would actually be some real horror on Halloween out there. Right. Well, it reminds me of even just like the real horrors that do happen on Halloween, like that dad who poisoned his own kids with candy and like Mm -hmm. people putting like razor blades and apples just like there are some awful people and they don't care that halloween brings so many other people joy i hope nobody dresses up as a bunny this year yeah or if you do do it at a house party where you're not just like out and about scaring the crap out of people you can be you can be like reese witherspoon in legally blonde (laughs) that kind of funny oh my gosh how awful of me that i didn't even think about like the typical hollow i mean i guess it's like slutty bunny Yeah, I didn't even think about Slutty Bunny (laughs) at all. I was very much like Easter Bunny or nothing. If you were driving out in the middle of the night and all of a sudden like like a female in a bunny costume like showed up in front of your car, like I think you'd be like weirded out, but you'd be less scared than like a grown man in a big like fluffy bunny outfit. Yeah, that's true. But then it's kind of like a little bit Bloody Mary, you know? Where Bloody Mary is like this attractive young woman who just needs a ride, just wants to dance. And then it becomes blood curdling, like scary when you just don't trust strangers. Yeah. Stay far away from everyone. (sighs) It's getting Uh, dark in my room. Okay. What listener story do you have for us? This is from Brittany. It's called Encounter with Bigfoot. Hello, ladies. I've been a listener of the podcast since the beginning and am addicted. I've listened to every episode at least three times. I own a home cleaning business, so you keep me very entertained daily. I've been a lover of all things paranormal since I can remember, and I was born on Halloween. So I always think that plays a major role in my sensitivity and experiences. Who knows? Anyway, I do have a million ghost stories, but I thought I'd send you something a little different. Growing up, I lived in a very spiritually active home, and it was at this house that the story took place. I'm from rural Alabama. So my home sat on three acres with trees and fields surrounding all sides. Can I just say one of my uh, co-workers right now is in Alabama staying with her family and on the video calls, it is so beautiful, so luscious, so many flowers and trees. Our nearest neighbor was behind us. About two acres of trees separated us. Behind our house sat an empty barn. I was 14 years old and a very avid horseback rider. I often went to competitions and lessons, and the neighbors behind me decided to sell one of their horses, and my parents decided that it would be a good idea to buy the horse since they were offering us such a great deal. 
The barn was obviously used for horses in the past, and the neighbor was going to allow me to use their pasture to keep the horse. But the horse would have to be kept in a stall in the barn at night. The deal was that I would have to help build his stall, which was partially already there. So the barn was open on both sides. One side opens towards the house and the other side towards the pastures and trees behind our home. One afternoon, about 12, maybe 1 p.m., I was in the barn hammering plywood and I started the process of building the stall. That's when I felt something looking at me. This was all too common in this home in my life, but usually when I felt it, there was never anything there. This time, I was frozen and really scared to look, but I did. I turned my head very slowly to the left, and when I did, my heart dropped to my stomach. I felt the most terror I had ever felt in my life come over me. On the right side of the opening, a very tall and hairy creature was peeking its head around the barn opening. When it saw that I saw it, it moved very quickly from the right to the left side of the opening. I didn't know what to do. Fight or flight kicked in and I flew. My house was a good two football fields away from the barn and I took off praying, dear God, baby Jesus, whatever, whoever would listen, please do not let me die. I did not look back until I got inside of my screened in back porch. The creature was gone. Who knows where it went? And it seemed that it was just as scared of me as I was of it since it ran once it saw that I saw it. It was very tall, probably a good eight or nine feet. And not long after, there were several reported sightings of a tall creature with red eyes only a street over from where I lived. I think that solidifies my story. I'm 30 years old now and I often tell this story. I truly don't give a shit what people think because I know for certain what I saw. And I will certainly be sending you girls more of my ghostly encounters. I love y'all. I feel like you're my best friends that I've never met. Thanks for reading. Talk to y'all soon. Brittany. Um, okay. She for sure saw Bigfoot. Isn't that crazy? And it was Bigfoot because it was Alabama. So it was an Appalachian Trail Bigfoot, which means it was nice. It wasn't a yucca man. This is amazing. Corinne and I don't talk about like what we're going to pick before we do it. But my listener story is also from Alabama. Also, maybe Bigfoot. What? (laughs) Is it from Brittany's neighbor? I don't know. We're going to find out. Also, I am just like. Can you imagine if Brittany looked behind her and the thing was chasing her? Like, I'm glad that they both bolted in opposite directions. It is interesting that it was scared of her, you know? Remember when I was talking about that footage in Ohio that had come out of those two guys that captured Bigfoot and I was like really criticizing the footage because I was like, this is fake because A, B, C, D, and E. And one of the reasons was because if you're coming in contact with another creature If you're not moving in a way that might make it feel threatened, the majority of animals out there are either going to be very timid or like somewhat curious, but like curious with caution. Right. Very rarely is something going to just charge right up to you unless it's threatened, unless you're encroaching on its territory or it has a baby with it or something. And so it makes more sense that this thing would also be watching her just as she watches it and then both be like, nope we don't want anything to do with each other i love that i was like so curious about the like the stall that she was building she was like what's happening in here yeah doesn't it make you wonder what that horse saw throughout its life in that barn oh my gosh interesting if horses could talk i if horses could talk that sounds like such a beautiful title of a book i bet it does exist it it probably does i just love to think though that someone picks up that book for like their child who loves horses or just themselves to think that it's going to be like this beautiful romantic story of like 
self-discovery and a relationship with a horse. And it's just about like Bigfoot on on a horse ranch. (laughs) I saw Bigfoot one day. All right. Okay. Let's find out if this is Brittany's neighbor. This is from William and it's called The Monster in the Woods. Hey, y'all. I've been listening and loving the podcast for a couple of years now and wanted to share my monster story with you. I've had a few paranormal things happen over my life, but nothing too extreme, thankfully. But this is not really a ghost story. This is a story that spans years of my life about a very real monster slash animal in the woods. It all starts when I was around 10 years old. I live in a very small Alabama town. So all there was really to do was to play in the woods as a kid. So one day, my cousin and I were back exploring some of the property we hadn't really checked out, and we came across some weird structure in the forest. It was a bunch of large logs and small trees arranged in a circular pattern almost, but there were random items from people's houses mixed in with everything. It was very strange, to say the least. I was checking this stuff out when I asked my cousin what she thought all of it was, but I got nothing from her, so I asked again, but she didn't respond. So I looked up to see why she wasn't responding, And she was pale white, as white as a ghost. I turned to look at what she was looking at, and what I saw still truly scares me to this day. I only saw it for maybe a second or two, but what I saw was huge, hairy, and looked like a chimpanzee, but about six to eight feet tall. I jumped up, pushed her, and told her to run. By the time we made it back, we looked like we had been cut up with a knife because we ran straight through all the brush and thorns. It was wild. I have a lot more to the story and saga, whatever you want to call it, but I'm going to leave it here for now. There is so much more, but frankly, it's hard to talk about, especially after learning more about these creatures for me. Anyway, if you want more, I'm happy to share. I know you don't do a lot of cryptid stuff, but I thought you might like it. Stay spooky and see you on the other side, William. Oh my goodness. It sounds like they were so close to it. Yes. They were in its home. Yeah, they were. (gasps) Oh my God. Oh my God. I do love the idea of Bigfoot, though, like collecting miscellaneous items from people's homes or like from like trash and like, you know, like a lamp here and there. Yeah, and, like, like mm, pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to decorate its home. Trash is Bigfoot's <laughs> treasure. <laughs> I know. It's cute to think that it's collecting and like trying to decorate its space so that it feels homey. Also, a really odd thing from this is that it set up logs like in a circular motion and so are they for do you think that the circular pattern is to was the start of it the structure of it building a home kind of like birds will create nests and like swallows have perfect nests and like all this stuff that makes sense but i'm wondering if it was actually i pictured it more as like a different stumps like sitting around a campfire and if it's like that then that's even more interesting because that means that there's some sort of like I don't know. I'm just thinking about like the way humans think versus a lot of the other animals out there and the way that we create patterns in terms of our social settings. And it like, are, are we like related to Bigfoot somehow? Do we share DNA? You would like to know that. I would. I thought you were going with like Bigfoot surfs getting around telling human stories. That's, <laughs> that's also true. And that's their evidence. It's like we have blurry photographs and they're like, look at this Pepsi can. <laughs> it's like in Little Mermaid. Yeah. Oh, Thingamabobs okay. and... Who's it's and... Yeah. Gizits galore. Gizits galore. That's so funny. Okay. If you have cryptid or any ghost stories, please email them to us. We want to know them. If you've experienced Bunny Man or the Yucca Man or Yucca Man, whoever you want to pronounce it, 
please email it to us at twogirlsoneghostpodcast at gmail.com. We also have a variety of ways to support us. The first way to support us is by reading and reviewing on iTunes. That really helps keep us up in the charts. You can also tell everybody. That's a good way. Yeah. We also have merch or you can support us on Patreon if you are able and willing and feel so inclined. Before we give our Patreon donors a shout out, I want to real quick say thank you to Eric Foster at Upfire Digital and your whole team for editing our episodes. We appreciate you and hope you know how, how great you are. Thank you. And we will see you on the other side. Very smooth.